0: Chapter 22 of Pee-wee Harris, Fixer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jason Gerber. Pee-wee Harris, Fixer by Percy Keese Fitzhugh. Chapter 22 Arabella Clouds were now bespreading the sky, obscuring the myriad stars, and bringing with them a freshening breeze. The boy who thought they would not want him in the scouts stood upon the wall, his shirt blowing and flapping against his slender form. He was just a dash of white in the enveloping blackness. Some day a sculptor will carve a statue of a scout, but it will not be the figure standing there that night in the darkness, his hair blowing, his spotless white shirt agitated by the heightening wind. It was ironical that this fine, heroic picture, with its touch of wildness and impending recklessness, was in the darkness, and isolated where it could not be seen. For that was the way it was with Emerson. No one saw him. No one really knew him. And so the stirring picture was wasted. Should he hurry to the nearest house for aid? He gazed around, but there was no light anywhere in that forsaken neighborhood. He looked below into the enclosure, then away again. And for a moment, several moments seemed uncertain, fearful, bewildered. Then, the monitor of the spelling books, knight of the lead pencils, Arabella, the teacher's pet, fixed his eyes upon the projecting end of board for whatever doubtful safety it might afford him, and leaped straight for it into the black, watery hole. A sudden, painful contact, a splash, a frantic grasping for something, anything, a warm, wet feeling on his throbbing forehead, a tingling in his fingertips, a sinking, sinking. Then, oblivion. When he came to his senses, the stars were looking down at him, silent watchers known to scouts, the only comrades who saw what he had done. The clouds had cleared for Emerson's skybrow, and he saw the light. These stars would guide him many times, and oft, they seemed even now to be waiting for him. He was lying half-submerged on rocks and mud. The plank which he had alighted on was floating. One of his eyes was glued shut, and he had to use a trembling hand to open it. He stretched his arms and legs and found that he was not helpless. He felt of his forehead, and it was shocking to the touch, as if something terrible had happened there. But this was only a cut, extensive rather than deep, and encrusted with blood. But it had ceased to bleed. He felt strange and his head ached cruelly, and when he got to his feet he found that he was weaker than he had supposed. For a moment, he reeled and caught himself just in time to keep from falling. He glanced about bewildered, pressing his wounded forehead and wondering where he was. I think I must be dreaming. I... I don't... I I seem to have lost my bearings completely, he said in his nice way. But soon he was in full possession of his wits. He remembered leaping, and he realized why he did not have his jacket on. He wondered how long he had lain unconscious, long enough for the clouds to have passed and for the friendly stars to resume their watch in the sky at any rate. "'This is certainly a predicament,' he said, looking about. From sheer force of habit, he brought his left hand up to his bedraggled scarf and pinched it into proper adjustment in the opening of his soiled, wilted collar. Suddenly it came to him in a flash why he was there. One misgiving was dispelled. The water was not deep. If it had been, he certainly would have been in a predicament, for he did not know how to swim. He stumbled through the shallow water, encountering rocks and sinking almost knee-deep in mud, and sat upon the little hubble of fallen masonry, which was the only dry spot in that horrible prison. He lowered his throbbing forehead to his hands, and sat thus for a few moments to regain possession of his fitful senses. Then he was startled into activity by sudden recollection of the urgency of his errand. He seemed quite himself now, but weak and shaky. Tremblingly, in a panic of fearful apprehension, he looked for the dash of color which he had seen from above. There it was, a mud-stained sleeve almost at his feet. He could not bear to touch the white hand that projected from it. Rather than do that, he felt of the other little spot of color near it, which also he had seen from above. It was a mass of disordered hair upon the water close to the debris. If the head which it covered lay face down, then his reckless plunge and suffering had gone for naught. He could not bring himself to move that spreading, undulating mass of hair. He found it easier to feel of the mud-smeared hand. If the one to whom that mud-stained hand belonged could have known that it was Arabella Skybrow clasping it, she would have been the most astonished little girl in the world. Would she ever know? or was she past all-knowing? Was even she, the little red-headed subject of this heroism, not to see him as he really was? He felt to the little hand where it lay upon the stones and it was cold. For a moment he hesitated, breathing in quick, spasmodic, panicky breaths. He was prepared for what he expected to see, but he must pause just a moment to calm his nerves and muster the courage to look, to face it. Then he reached down, and lifted the mass of hair which rested like a clump of seaweed on the shallow water meanwhile the friendly stars smiled down upon him end of chapter 22 recording by jason gerber